Okay, are you ready for a journey today? This episode actually should be titled Welcome to the Inside of My Mind because once in a while when I'm doing research for my show, there's basically two kinds of research that I do general research to see what's going on, learn the facts about things, and then very specific research where I'm investigating a certain issue. And in the course of my general research over the weekend, I came across some information that honestly surprised even me. And I'm talking about Ukraine here. I don't want to be vague. This isn't this isn't some clickbait teaser. I'm talking about Ukraine and Russia and how energy dependence plays into exactly what's happening in Ukraine. It plays into the fact that Putin feels that he can invade Ukraine the way that he is. And what I mean by this is if you rewind just a couple months, you know, literally a couple months, not even that long ago, we, uh, you, we should ask the question, well, what, what would have stopped Putin? What would have prevented Putin from doing this? And there's actually a very simple answer to this. What would have prevented Putin from invading Ukraine the way that he is right now is a threat to his profit, his pocketbook. I mean, Putin's a dictator. He's evil. He's a killer. But he's also, um, he also has the exact same type of human nature as the rest of us. So when something threatens his pocketbook, he adjusts his actions accordingly. Now, what, what is one of the biggest ways that he profits? What is one of his biggest money makers? The answer to that is obviously energy. This is, this is not the new information that surprised me. This is just follow my train of thought here. You'll, you'll get there. You'll get there with me. Um, this is exactly how it took me to get there. So what could have stopped Putin? A threat to his profits, um, his energy profits specifically. So in other words, if the United States and Europe had both threatened to stop buying Russian oil months ago, not now that this has happened, months ago, Russia would not have done this. Now, this seems very obvious to me. This seems very obvious to you. This was not obvious to Joe Biden, clearly, or he wouldn't be behaving the way that he is behaving. It's also not obvious to Europe. And that's where things get a little sticky. So hang on tight, because here we go. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. All right, so if U.S. and Europe had both at the same time threatened and actually meant their threat, meaning they were willing to follow through, if we were willing to follow through with a threat to stop buying Russian oil months ago, then Russia would not have done this because it would have threatened Putin's pocketbook. Nothing is more important to, well, anybody really than profit, especially to a dictator. And yet we have German Chancellor Olaf Scholz say the following. This And this is just, this is so disgusting. When I heard this, I, I'd lost any respect that I had for this person, which was very little to begin with. And I'm going to read that to you in one second. But first, I want to talk to you about my Patriot Supply. Friends, one of the biggest problems that all Americans will face in 2022 is runaway food prices. I'm talking sky high inflation. It's already hitting everyone hard. Imagine how much worse it's going to get. But I have a solution that you are going to love. Get yourself some long-term storage emergency food from My Patriot Supply, America's largest emergency food provider. Hands down, this is the most affordable way to buy emergency food. The food is delicious, I know, because my husband and I keep a store of backup food. In fact, we completely lost power at our house this past weekend. And I was like, oh no, this is terrible. And my husband was giddy because he is uh, a proud prepper and we were completely prepared for this, including having a storage of uh, food supply. So get the four-week emergency food kit yourself, which provides breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, and snacks. Right now, you can even save $50 on each four-week kit that you order if you go to my URL, which is preparewithliz.com. Pick up one kit for each person in your family, and you can laugh at the sky-high food prices at the grocery store, but don't wait. Go to preparewithliz.com right now. That's preparewithliz.com. 
So the German chancellor, the new one, it's not Angela Merkel anymore, it's Olaf Scholz. Olaf Scholz said, and I quote, Europe has deliberately exempted energy supplies from Russia from sanctions. He said, supplying Europe with energy for heat generation, mobility, electricity supply, and industry cannot be secured in any other way at the moment. It is therefore of essential importance for the provision of public services and the daily lives of our citizens. The federal government has been for months working urgently with its partners in the European Union and beyond to develop alternatives to Russian energy. This cannot be done overnight. That is why it is a conscious decision on our part to continue the activities of business enterprises in the area of energy supply with Russia. So when I heard this, I was disgusted, first of all, because this enables Putin. If Putin knows that he is going to continue to receive his profit, he's going to continue to receive that money from selling Europe energy supplies, then he also knows that countries like Germany are not going to criticize him, are not going to do anything harsh, like sanction his energy or sanction the energy supply coming from him or stop, divest from Russian oil because then they will be destitute. So he's put them in the position, Putin has put places like Germany in this position on purpose. And yes, this cannot be done overnight. Taking German reliance and removing that reliance from Russian oil, that cannot be done overnight. But the thing is, this wasn't something that happened overnight. I mean, President Trump actually warned Germany specifically, that single country, Germany specifically, that this was going to happen if they continued their reliance on Russian oil. And they didn't listen. They didn't listen. And this this has led, by the way, this reliance on Russian oil, it, it's, fun, it's funny to see, in a sense, the eyes of the left even being opened right now because we've gotten to a point, the eyes of the left about Russian oil. The eyes of the left have been opened to the point where even New York Magazine published a, an article called Was Ted Cruz Right About Russia? I saw that headline and I laughed because I thought, well, this must have caused great pain to the author of this article because liberal outlets do not like Ted Cruz. This is what they said. For years, a Russian-led pipeline project has been Ted Cruz's nemesis, Nord Stream 2, which would allow the country to export billions of dollars worth of natural gas to Western Europe while bypassing Ukraine has been a single-minded focus of the senator who pushed legislation in 2019 that was signed by Donald Trump to sanction the pipeline's owner. The sanctions were waived when Joe Biden became president in order to repair relations with Moscow and appease European governments supportive of the project. So Cruz single-handedly blocked scores of Biden nominees from receiving floor votes to force them to reimpose sanctions on Nord Stream 2's owner. It was a familiar role for the Republican from Texas, who as a freshman helped to force a government shutdown in a failed attempt to repeal Obamacare. Cruz's concern was that allowing the pipeline to continue would encourage Vladimir Putin to act aggressively. Needless to say, by launching the world's, or launching the largest ground war, war in Europe since World War II, Putin has confirmed Cruz's worst fears. The White House finally did restore sanctions last week, but only after Russia had already invaded Ukraine. I never thought that I would say that I agree with literally every word of a New York Magazine article, but yes, they're correct. The problem is, it's too little too late. The problem is to... Fix this problem required some foresight, required them to put aside their so-called green agenda for one second and look at the reality of the thing. And, and this is where we get to the research that surprised me, the research that I found that surprised me this weekend. So there are reports, there is actually evidence that the Russian government, and this, this is related to the green agenda. Now remember, just to back up for one second, the green agenda that the Democrats have embraced is the idea that fossil fuels are bad, that natural gas and oil are 
inherently immoral, that they are just destructive to our environment to the point that if we don't stop our reliance on fossil fuel, then as AOC or Greta Thunberg threatens, our world will, I don't know, come to some apocalyptic disaster in 10, 11, 12 years. A, a number, by the way, that doesn't change even as the number of years pass by. So that's, that's, a, that's a, a joke for a different day to make fun of these, these climate change criers. However, so th- this is, the, this is the, the thrust of the climate change agenda, the anti-fossil fuel agenda. And the second part of it is saying, okay, well, the left wants us to get off of fossil fuels and what do they want us to replace that energy? We need that energy. We consume that energy. It's necessary for everything from cars to air travel to the electricity in our homes to literally our entire society is dependent on fossil fuels, but they want us to turn to alternative sources of fuel or renewable energy. And they don't want us to use nuclear energy, which would be the intuitive, the intuitive alternative energy. They want us to use wind and solar. Now, wind and solar, of course, aren't actually green. They, wind and solar themselves rely on both coal and oil, both for the construction of the wind turbines that last 20 years max, sometimes a little bit more than that, and then have to be thrown out. And um, of course, to create the actual turbines themselves, you have to use coal to forge that steel. We know also that turbines are very environmentally unfriendly because they kill a ton of birds. You have to raise, raise land, the environment, in order to build these wind farms. Um, solar energy only works when the sun is out and likewise requires a ton of, a ton of land that has to be raised. Now, again, maybe that's a tiny bit tangential, but to, but to understand what this green agenda is, the thrust of the green agenda is to try to get the U.S. and, and Europe off of fossil fuels and to force them onto renewable energy, which is wind and solar. Now, there is evidence that the Russian government through shell companies, so the Russian government, through shell companies, has given millions and millions of dollars to green energy lobbying groups here in the United States and in Europe in order to reduce use of fossil fuels in the United States and Europe in order to then render us dependent on so-called green energy, which of course, as I said, requires fossil fuels, which would render us dependent on Russian oil. So Russian money, Russians aren't allowed to give money, by the way, directly. A foreign government or foreign entities aren't allowed to give money directly to lobby the United States government in this way. And so what they did is they created shell companies, you know, in in the islands, the Caribbean islands, as they always do, created shell companies. They gave this money to these shell companies that then funded green lobbying groups, groups here in the United States that were trying to ban fossil fuels, that were trying to turn us towards wind and solar, because turning us towards wind and solar doesn't mean that we're actually going off using oil. It just means that we buy oil from Russia. Russia wanted this to happen. Russia needed this to happen. This, this, was, this was the long game of Vladimir Putin. And the fact that we knew about this, that we knew about, when I say we knew about this, we knew that Russia was giving money to these green, these environmentalist groups in our country. We've known this for years. In fact, in 2014, the Secretary General of NATO, his name is Anders Rasmussen, he's also the former Premier of Denmark, by the way, he warned publicly that Russia was doing this exact thing, that they are actively working to undermine the U.S. and European fossil fuel industry, the production of fossil fuels in our country. This is what he said, quote, I have met allies who can report that Russia, as part of their sophisticated information and disinformation operations, engaged actively with so-called non-governmental organizations 
environmental organizations working against shale gas to maintain European dependence on imported Russian gas, end quote. Guess what the reaction was in the United States and around the world when Secretary General Rasmussen made this comment? NATO tried to brush their hands of him. They were like, oh, he, he, he only speaks for himself. He doesn't speak for NATO. The U.S. just brushed it right under the rug, swept it under the rug. No one paid attention to this. This was in 2014, eight years ago. We knew that this was happening. So fast forward just three years after that, 2017, two United States congressmen, Lamar Smith and Randy Weber, sent a letter to then Treasury Secretary Mnuchin with not only the exact same allegation, but evidence and a money trail. They named names showing exactly how this was done. And I want to read a little bit of this letter because, again, I when I read this, I thought, well, we've known about this for almost a decade. There's simply no excuse for Joe Biden not to have known this or taken action on this, for Europe not to have known this or taken action on this. And of course, the neglect to pay attention to what Russia was doing led us into this situation right now where Putin was in empowered, where he is empowered to invade Ukraine, knowing that we're not going to divest from Russian oil because we can't, we rely on it. So this is what, this is what the two congressmen, Smith and Weber wrote. They say the mechanics of Russia's scheme to use nonprofit entities to influence U.S. public policy and public opinion of the oil and gas industry. And they wrote, publicly available reports connect the dots in this complex scheme operated under the guise of phil uh, philanthropic endeavors. The Russian government and complicit parties have executed a political agenda with little or no paper trail. This scheme allows money originating from foreign countries like Russia to funnel through Bermuda-based shell companies to environmental groups in the United States with the aim of disrupting the U.S. energy treasury. These allegations are ripe for investigation by the Department of the Treasury. They write, according to reports, entities connected to the Russian government are using a shell company registered in Bermuda. The name of the shell company is Klein Limited, K-L-E-I-N Limited, to funnel tens of millions of dollars to a U.S.-based 501c3 private foundation, the Sea Change Foundation. This money appears to move in the form of anonymous donations. Sea Change then passes the money originating in Russia to various U.S. 501c3 organizations such as the Sierra Club, the League of Conservation Voters Education Fund, and others. These funds are dispersed as grants that will be used to execute a political agenda driven by Russian entities. The purpose of this circuitous exchange of foreign funds is to shield the source of the money. We've known about this. This is, this is something that was written about by members of the United States Congress in a public letter to Secretary of the Treasury Mnuchin years ago. The NATO Secretary of General uh, Secretary General warned about this in 2014. Congress warned about this in 2017. And yeah, what did we do? We completely ignored this. In fact, it's almost worse than this because right now under Joe Biden, the United States is importing 595,000 barrels of oil every single day from Russia. That's a lot of oil. We don't need to be we don't need to be importing this amount of oil. We have oil here in the United States, but Biden has refused to drill. He's ended federal leases for drilling. He does not want to buck these green energy groups. This lobby, this lobby that we now know is actually funded by the Russians. 
So these aren't even U.S. citizens who are environmentalists who are against fossil fuel, which is a stupid enough policy as it is. It's, a, it's an asinine policy to begin with, but it's not even U.S. citizens funding this lobbying of their own government officials. This is Russians, the Russian government, Putin, sending money through Bermuda to a so-called nonprofit here in the United States called Sea Change, who then disperses the money to environmentalist groups that lobby the U.S. government. I mean, this is like shady, shady, shady. And of course, we know the more reliant that Europe or the United States is on Russia, the less likely that Europe or the United States will be to call out Putin when he does something wrong, to be harsh against Russia if Russia acts aggressively. And Germany, of course, is the perfect example of that. They are actively saying out loud that they're not going to divest from Russian oil, that they rely on Russian oil. It was like we had to give them a kick in the pants just to get on board with the swift banking sanctions. Putin knows that he can deprive his critics of energy that they need to, well, live because he has rendered them dependent. This is the long game of Vladimir Putin. This is, this is not something that, this is not, this invasion of Ukraine is not something that happened just because Putin had a wild hair. This wasn't something that he acted out of emotion and simply staged this invasion because he thought the time was right. He's been planning and he's been plotting. And the United States and Europe has been ignoring the signs when we knew the signs. And Biden's deputy secretary of state said the same thing as, said the, same thing as the German chancellor did. Admitted, she, she's admitting out loud that, Biden, that Putin's strategy is working. Take a listen to this. Should Europe and the West divest, Western Europe and the Western world divest of Russian energy, in your opinion? You know, I think that there is a lot of rethink, and there will be, about energy security worldwide. I think you had heard from the president last night that, combined with other countries around the world, we've done a release of strategic petroleum reserves of 60 billion. Uh, 30 billion, 30, sorry, 60 million, 30 million from the United States. But no was your, your answer. But I do Secretary. think Thank that you. the whole world is rethinking energy security over the long term. There will be a transition era. It is not only in our national security interest because of situations like what we're currently facing, but it is in our national interest because climate change requires it. So imagine being Putin, right? You've been plotting and planning this for decades. You... The first stage of your operation wasn't a military operation. It was a monetary, a financial operation to disrupt U.S. politics, to give money to people that would work against fossil fuels, which would render the U.S. and Europe dependent on your oil, which would profit you. And the more important even than profiting, it gave Putin control because he knows that if he cuts that off or there's the threat of that being cut off, he's not gonna, he's not gonna have strong opposition from the people who rely on him. So imagine hearing the German chancellor and then the deputy secretary of state under Biden admit that, no, we're not going to stop our dependence on Russian oil. He knows that empowers him. It gives him what he needs. It's basically saying, yep, you were successful in the first stage of your investigation. Here's what surprised me perhaps more than anything else when I was doing this reading, doing this, this research. What surprised me more than anything else was a comment from Hillary Clinton, of all people. And I'm going to tell you that in one second. But first, we're going to talk about Beam Organics. Did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity? And that sleeping less than six to seven hours per night is linked to reduced white blood cell count. Not many people realize this, but having a consistent nighttime routine is so important. 
So a better tomorrow starts tonight. Introducing Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products for everything from sleep to recovery. And today, you, my listeners, get a special discount available for Beam's sleep product. It's called Dream Powder. It's their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. It contains natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients, triple lab-tested, no THC, and you wake up refreshed. 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream, and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. You can find out why Forbes and the New York Times are all talking about Beam and why it's trusted by the world's top athletes. And if you don't love it, then you can get your money back guaranteed. For a limited time, get $20 off when you go to beamorganics.com slash Liz and use the code Liz, L-I-Z, at checkout. That's B-E-A-M organics.com slash Liz and use code Liz, L-I-Z, for $20 off at checkout. Okay. So in 2016, Hillary Clinton gave a speech. This was not a public speech. This was a private speech. The only reason that we are aware of it is because this was part of the WikiLeaks, the trove of WikiLeaks documents that were made public. So what Hillary Clinton said here was never intended for your ears and for my ears. This was supposed to be just for her private donors. This is what she said in 2016. She said, quote, we were even up against phony environmental groups. And I'm a big environmentalist, she said, but these were funded by the Russians. Even Hillary Clinton knew. Like, this this actually surprises me. When I read that, I thought, really, Hillary Clinton knew? Hillary Clinton, of all people, knew this. And she admitted it, albeit to a private audience. She didn't necessarily think that you and I would hear about this. Hillary Clinton knew about this. So this wasn't, again, the, the reason that this is so important, or the reason I thought that this was so important when I read this, is because I thought, okay, there are a lot of things that Republicans think are important. Republicans think election integrity is important. We think that there's evidence of electioneering in the 2020 election. Democrats don't agree with that. You know, Republicans think that the FBI and the special counsel abused their power and targeted President Trump. The Democrats don't agree with that. Now, there, there, are, a lot of, there are a lot of issues like that where there's information that Republicans consider to be smoking gun information or bombshell information that the Democrats don't know about because they don't agree with the, the premise of the topic at hand. Again, whether it's election integrity, whether it's FBI malfeasance in targeting President Trump. But this is an issue that both sides knew. Both sides knew. Republican congressmen in 2017 talked about this, warned Mnuchin, warned the Trump administration that Russian money was funding environmentalist groups here in the United States with the goal of banning fracking, banning fossil fuel, reducing our energy independence in order to render us dependent on Putin's oil. And Hillary Clinton on the left knew the same thing and said the same thing, thought the same thing, was aware of the same thing and warned about the same thing. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. I mean, the idea that something, a political topic as pervasive as climate change, as pervasive as fossil fuels, as pervasive as green energy, the idea that this is not just a domestic issue, even if there's arguments between Republicans and Democrats or science-based people and ideology-based people, science-based meaning those who understand the world is not going to end in 10 years, and ideology-based meaning those who um, view climate change as a religion and not as, as a theory or a science that it is, the fact that this isn't just a family fight within our country, the fact that this is funded by the Russians is... One of the most significant parts of what's happening, what's happening right now, Putin invading Ukraine, Putin killing thousands of Ukrainians, Putin trying to take over Ukraine. And the, the, the point of all of this 
is that we never needed Russian oil. Europe never needed Russian oil. This was a deliberate choice to be dependent on Putin. And maybe people were duped. Maybe politicians were duped into thinking that they had to support green energy initiatives. They had to support wind and solar, renewable energy, which of course means we are still dependent on oil, but not our oil, because it's, it's morally bad to rely on our oil, but it's morally okay to rely on Putin's oil. That's what these green energy lobbyists were telling politicians. And our politicians were so stupid that they fell for this. What's happening today in Ukraine is a direct result of this lobbying, setting, setting up this situation, and then our politicians being such idiots that they fell for this. Now, there's an energy expert by the name of Michael Schellenberger who demonstrates exactly how this lobbying succeeded. And I mean, this blew my mind again, and you will see why in, in, in just a second. So Michael Schellenberger says, says in a Twitter thread, a great Twitter thread, I'll post it on my locals for anyone who wants to read it in its entirety. I'm just gonna read a couple of the tweets right now. He goes, people think Europe depends on Russia for energy because it lacks its own, but 15 years ago, Europe exported more natural gas than Russia does today. Now, Russia exports three times more gas than Europe produces. Why? Because climate activists, partly funded by Russia, blocked fracking. Oh, well, would you look at that? He goes, climate activists weren't the only ones to blame. BP acquired a 19.75% stake in Rosneft in 2013. That's obviously the Russian-owned um, um, fossil fuel company. Shell and ExxonMobil developed joint ventures with Gazprom and Rosneft, but the big Western oil and gas companies only did so because climate activists blocked fracking in Europe. He goes, climate activists pressured governments to block oil and gas development, even as Gazprom slowed deliveries to Europe last fall, a British regulator nixed Shell's plans to develop an enormous gas field in the North Sea. But this is where it gets really interesting. This is where it ties into something that we've been talking about for the past two weeks. Schellenberger goes, last fall, I was one of the first journalists to document how climate activists had effectively reduced private and public investment in oil and gas production through a propaganda effort called ESG directly contributing to the global energy crisis. ESG, my friends, ESG, what is ESG? Environmental, social, and governmental. You remember what ESG is? This is the, the stuff of the Great Reset. Environmental, social, and governmental metrics. This is the credit, the social credit score that the Great Resetters use to rate banks and to rate anybody that has anything to do with a bank, meaning any business that wants to apply for a loan, you're rated on this ESG metric, the environmental, social, and governmental standards. And if you're not good enough, if you don't measure up on this metric system, then you are denied access to doing business with these banks. And this, this impacts investors more than anything because investors need loans. Investors do business with banks all the time. So I, I'm gonna read this tweet again. He goes, last fall, I was one of the first journalists to document how climate activists had effectively reduced private and public investment in oil and gas production through a propaganda effort called ESG. The great resetters have struck again. The ESG, remember, these were, these were this metric, the social credit score system, these standards were created originally by the UN, but the idea for ESG was created by the Klaus Schwab's of the world, the World Economic Forum folks, the people who want a great reset of capitalism, who want not a shareholder economy, they call it, meaning they don't want companies to make their business decisions based on what's best for the consumer. 
which is what a normal market system looks like. They want instead a stakeholder economy. Stakeholder being defined as not just loyalty to one's consumers, offering the best service or product that consumers want and benefiting monetarily. It's a mutually beneficial system. No, they define stakeholders as these other interests that must be taken into consideration when businesses are making business decisions. Now, what are these other considerations? Well, the first and foremost one is climate change. It's environmentalism. It's whether or not these, whether or not um, energy, meaning renewable energy or fossil fuel use is, is being done by these big companies. And so we see the direct result of this. So, so let's go back again. So we have Russia under Putin giving money to a Bermuda-based shell company who gives it to a 5013C here in the United States called Sea Change. Sea Change disperses these so-called anonymous donations to um, prominent environmentalist groups, which are lobbying the U.S. government to ban fracking, to divest from fossil fuel, to turn instead to so-called renewable green energy sources like wind and solar, which of course render us reliant on foreign oil since they still require oil and coal to be used. So we are reliant on Russian oil. And the reason that this has this lobbying has been so successful is because it's not just commercials. It's not just public discourse in the debate sense. It's not just a Republican and a Democrat, a climate change crier and a climate change realist debating in the court of public opinion. No, this is also happening behind the scenes. These lobbyists are making a difference because in these big banking institutions, they're lobbying in favor of ESG metrics, ESG standards, environmental and social and governmental standards as it relates or as defined by the Great Reset's idea of a stakeholder economy. You can't make this stuff up. This is, so what we're seeing right now, Vladimir Putin invading Ukraine, this is a result of the Great Reset wokesters crying climate change, accusing President Trump of colluding with Russia when they actually allowed Russia to influence our domestic policy through these phony shell corporations that empowered Russia to have leverage over energy and therefore attack Ukraine without fear of criticism or reprisal. These people, these leftists, these great resetters, these lobbyists, these leftists have blood on their hands, Ukrainian blood on their hands. So what do we do now? A lot of what we've talked, or a lot of what I've talked about, about Ukraine and Russia is, and, and rightly so, I'd like to flatter myself, is how we got into this situation, how we never should have gotten into this situation, how it's Biden's fault, it's the left's fault, and now we know it's um, the environmentalists funded by the Russians, and we knew about this. I mean, this is a whole, a whole tangle of money and scandal. But all of that notwithstanding for a second, what do we do now? We're in this binary, this what I consider to be a lose-lose. Either we send in our troops or we watch Vladimir Putin decimate Ukraine, both of which are, it's a terrible binary situation. We shouldn't be in this, but now that we are, what do we do? We're gonna talk about that in just a second, but first I wanna talk about Truebill. Do you know why free trials for subscription services renew without your consent? Well, if it feels like a business scam that's out to get you, it's because it kind of is. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. There is a solution. It's called Truebill. Truebill is a new app 
that helps you identify and then stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, you don't want, or if you're like me, you simply sign up for and then you forget about and it keeps charging you month after month after month. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. A lot of companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, so Truebill makes it incredibly simple to do so. You just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions for you so that you don't have to. All you do is download Truebill, take control of your subscriptions. They've helped over 2 million users save over $100 million. That's a lot of cash. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash Liz. Go right now, Truebill.com slash Liz. It could save you thousands of dollars a year. Truebill.com slash Liz. So what do we do now about Ukraine? Obviously, this didn't have to happen. It is a result of Biden's poor leadership. It is a result of politicians in the United States and Europe being idiots, falling for, well, Putin's trickery, his decade, his more than decade strategy to render the United States and um, Europe dependent on Russian oil. This is a lose-lose that didn't have to be. And I will always say this. I will never be able to stop myself from saying this. But one of the people that, one of the people that's been very wrong on this or who is very wrong on this is well, conservatives have been very wrong on this. And one of the ones, so as not to be vague that I'm talking about, is Senator Marco Rubio. This is what he said on ABC this weekend. Take a look at this. Florida, the vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Senator Rubio, thanks for joining us this morning. You were on that Zoom yesterday with President Zelensky. Are you and your colleagues now more open to a no-fly zone? You know, the, the look, a no-fly zone has become a catchphrase. I'm not sure a lot of people fully understand what that means. That means flying AWACS 24 hours a day. That means the willingness to shoot down and engage Russian airplanes in the sky. That means, frankly, you can't put those planes up there unless you're willing to knock out the anti-aircraft uh, systems that the Russians have deployed, and not just in Ukraine, but in Russia and also in, in, in Belarus. So basically, a no-fly zone, it, uh, if people understood what it means, it means World War Three. It means starting World War Three. So I think there are a lot of things we can do to help Ukraine protect itself, both from airstrikes and missile strikes. But I think the people need to understand what a no-fly zone means. It's not just it's not some rule you pass that everybody has to oblige by. It's the willingness to shoot down the aircrafts of the Russian Federation, which is basically the beginning of World War Three. Okay, so first of all, in, in and of itself, I don't disagree with Rubio um, regarding a no-fly zone. That would, that would be an act of war. It could be perceived as an act of war. I'm sure Putin would interpret it as such. But here's the thing. One of the good things about how President Trump conducted foreign policy when he was in office is people believed his threats. People, adversaries or dictators, knew that uh, President Trump wasn't taking anything off the table because President Trump never took anything off the table. He didn't tip his hand. He didn't say, oh, you know what? I promise we're not gonna do this no matter what you do. I promise we're not going to send troops in no matter how brutal you get. Even if President Trump believed that about a certain situation, he never would have telegraphed that to Putin. And so when I hear Rubio saying, oh, you know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna implement a no-fly zone, I'm like, okay, a no-fly zone is not a good idea, but why are you putting this off the table as a high-ranking United States senator, a government official who actually has influence over U.S. foreign policy? Why would you be telegraphing to Putin that we're that we're not going to implement a no-fly zone? This is this is terrible foreign policy. It's very weak foreign policy. In fact, I very rarely give credit to Democrats because they so rarely deserve it. But credit where it's due. Do you know who actually is handling this correctly? Joe Manchin. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, take a listen to what he said. 
where do you want to stop? So what does that mean for you? Are you right now, would you support a no-fly zone? Would you support doing this, which could trigger a wider conflict? I understand that, but right now you don't signal to your, to the nemesis of Putin. This is a Putin's war. This is not the Russian people's war. This is Putin's war and his quest for whatever it may be. But to take anything off the table thinking we might not be able to use things because we've already taken them off the table is wrong. I would take nothing off the table, but I would let be very clear that we're going to support the Ukrainian people, the Ukrainian president, and this government every way humanly possible. Zelensky was very clear. He says, we don't need you to fight our fight. We don't need you to fly our planes or fly your planes into our war zone. Mm -hmm. We need the planes that we can fly ourselves, and we have them on the border. He understands foreign policy. He said, we're not going to take anything off the table. Why would, we, why would we tell Putin that we're going to respond only in weak ways? Nothing should be off the table now. That's not being said. Nobody's saying that they want a war with Russia. Nobody wants a war with Russia. Most everyone actually is in agreement that we don't want to send U.S. troops in, that a no-fly zone would cause World War III. Okay, but why, why, why are conservatives, Rubio specifically here, taking things off the table? A strong leader would never, ever do this. So what do we do now about Ukraine? The first thing is don't take anything off the table. Even if privately a politician or an administration has no intention of implementing a certain tactic, you don't telegraph that to the adversary. That's weakness. That emboldens dictators. So that's, that's thing number one. Um, thing number two is obviously we should divest from all Russian oil. And, we should, and this is the thing, we should force Europe to do the same. We have a very strong hold over Europe the United States. We have a lot of influence over Europe. We have a lot of leverage over Europe. We should force Europe to stop their dependence on Russian oil, and we should do the same. We should force Europe to drill for their own oil, and we should do the same. This shouldn't be controversial. This, this is a, a, a normal thing. It's not a harmful thing. It allows us to not only be energy independent, but it allows us to be safe and secure and to keep people like the Ukrainian people safe and secure. Do you think that Putin would have staged this invasion if he didn't think, oh, the U.S. is dependent on me and Europe, especially Germany, is dependent on me? They're not going to push back very hard because they know if they do, I'll cut them off. No, this all could have been prevented and it should be prevented in the future by doing those exact things, doing those exact things. Now, by the way, the sanctions right now from the Biden administration from Europe on the Russian oligarchs, that's a good thing. That will work. Those oligarchs have a lot of influence over Putin. It won't work immediately. But the oligarchs that, have ha that are having their yachts sunk, they want to go to the Riviera. They want their children to go to Western elite universities. And they want to be able to spend their money worldwide. And if they're not able to do that, they won't like that. And that will influence Putin. But the biggest thing that we can do is energy independence. The other thing is there's a report from Reuters and maybe this is propaganda, maybe it's not. But Reuters reports that a Kremlin spokesman, um, this is what, the, let me read this directly to you. This is what Reuters says. Dmitry Peskov said Moscow was demanding that Ukraine cease military action, change its constitution to enshrine neutrality, acknowledge Crimea as Russian territory, and recognize the separatist republics of Donetsk and Lugansk as independent states. Peskov told Reuters in a telephone interview that Ukraine was aware of the conditions, quote, and they were told that all of this can be stopped in a moment. So Putin is a killer. He's a tyrant. He's an imperialist. He has no, no, he holds no dignity in any human life whatsoever. Um, he does need an off-ramp. And he's offering, he's offering Ukraine a deal that, if I'm Zelensky, I think very strong, very hard about whether I should accept this deal. Because we're, the situation in Ukraine is a lose-lose. 
because of everything that we talked about today, everything that we talked about um, in previous days, everything that we talked about in the Great Reset episode. But given where we are right now, the situation, the reality of Russia and Ukraine, all other things notwithstanding, if this is a real offer from Putin, if this is a sincere offer from Putin, nothing should be taken off the table by world powers when it comes to how to respond to Putin. But Zelensky should think very, very hard about whether to accept this offer. All right, join us over in the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. So the video that you might have seen from last week where I where we were reading the document from Pfizer, that document that they hid from 70, for 70 years or tried to hide for 70 years. And then um, it wasn't hidden. The government didn't let them hide it. So we saw this list, this eight-page list of side effects from the vaccine. Well, I got fact-checked for this video. And it's, I'm laughing just because it's, the reason that they gave for the fact check that Facebook gave for this fact check is insane. We're going to be talking about that over, over on the Liz Wheeler show community on locals. So please join us. LizWheelerShow.com slash locals. My promo code for you today is collusion. Collusion. If you use that promo code, then you can get one month free on your annual subscription. So your first month is completely free. Join us over there. LizWheelerShow.com slash locals. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is the Liz Wheeler show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.